0: Good morning, C4 Church. So glad that again you're here this morning, and I want to again welcome many of you watching, listening online. If you're serving this morning, again, we as the church say thank you so much for serving tweens or kids or wherever you're going this morning and serving. For some of you that are joining us online from another church community, you're welcome. For some of you who have no church background, we want to welcome you virtually here this morning. The Church United The phrase, we're all in this together. Words flung around at church like unity and loving each other, the call for consistent, authentic, biblical relationships, as Dave just prayed, that show the world the God we've encountered. This has been the high calling and command and invitation out of the book of Ephesians. Now, today, if you've been joining us, this is your first time, or you've been with us through the whole book. Today is the place, in my opinion, of greatest encouragement. Today is the place of given power to actually move from knowing about to knowing and acting and believing on everything we've heard and been commanded to do so far. See, the question we keep facing as Christians is this. How do we really know that we know that we know that we're dearly loved children? How does our very soul, our very essence, as broken people, be transformed and be aligned under what the Bible says is true about us already? How does what we believe and know, statements like we've heard in the book of Ephesians, well, we're called or elected or adopted or sealed or owned by God himself or deeply loved. How does statements like that take real deep root, not only in you, but in us together? And here's the real question this morning. How do we want to love God? And how do we move to want to love one another when it is unnatural to do so? How do we throw off the old life that threatens our very new life? How do we throw off the very things that threaten the unity of this church in this moment? For the last three weeks, Paul, if we've been reading him, has shown us what we must get rid of. He has been very clear about all the things that offend God, all the things that He does not want us to do because it actually impedes our connection with Him and each other. He, he has said certain actions, mentalities, and worldviews threaten the unity of every local church, including this one. And it even, even more dangerous. it threatens our witness to a watching world. See, God has declared, as we've read this book, that we must not and we cannot, nor can we ever be involved in lying. Bitterness, rage, uncontrolled anger, malice is not allowed in the church. Unforgiveness cannot fester among us because if it does, it brings destruction. Speech that is harsh, stealing, greed, any sexual act that goes beyond the design and will of God is not allowed among us. No obscenity, no foolish talking, no coarse joking, and if that's not difficult enough to swallow, then he turns around and says, and oh, by the way, you normal people, you have to be humble, gentle, and patient with one another, and then he emphatically declares we need to bear with one another, and we need to work at peace all the time. So here's the question. How do we deal with such a vast and unhuman task. And by the way, this matters deeply this morning because we as Christians are called as a small minority living among a vast majority to live lives and use words and relationships so differently than when our neighbors and friends and coworkers actually look at us, we are distinctly different when they are scrutinizing us. So with the very essence of our faith at stake, at the very essence of the kingdom come, when Paul keeps saying, don't you understand that this phrase needs to be worked out because the stakes are eternally high, how do we do this? Because the great problem sitting in the church is most people think that we just need to try harder and maybe we'll get there 30% and God will be okay with that. See, here's what is sitting in front of us at this moment. We need something far beyond anything sitting in this room to do the basics of our Christian faith. See, what we're reading in Ephesians is not a spectacular Christian life. It's a normal Christian life. Now, as I've preached time and time again to you and to myself, we will not, in this church... We cannot in this church, we should not even try to be all in this together or a church united by our own efforts. We need a power source that is not like us. Think about this this morning. We need a power source that cannot be influenced by sin, has no problem with worldliness, and never can be seduced by the demonic in any way. See, if you've been paying close attention, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, time after time after time after time after time, keeps saying to each church that would read this, there is one person... There is one person that can make this all happen, and it's not you, and it's not the elders, and it's not the pastors, and it's not the staff. No, no. His name is the Holy Spirit. Multiple times in Ephesians, he has said, without the Spirit's coming, it's all a wash. I've done this before. Let me do it again. This is a candle. This is a fine candle, I think, from the dollar store. It's okay. All right. It's a candle. Its purpose is to give light. It's got a wick, and if you light it, it produces not only light, it produces heat. But you know where I'm going with this. This candle, though its purpose is to give light and heat, cannot do it by itself. It just remains a candle. You can stare at it, you can call on it, you can. nothing is going to happen unless an external thing happens to it. You need, everyone pray it's gonna work, okay, right. You need an external power source. What happens is this. Do you see this? External. The candle only becomes the candle. The candle only functions with great heat and power and light when an external force comes on it and produces heat and fire. See, this is the image we need as a church. Without the continuing coming of the Holy Spirit, we are candles that will do nothing in a dark world. We will never be united together, we will never love each other, we will never be Christians known by our love, we will never be empowered in any way unless we understand that self-sufficiency and education does not win the game. He does. He does. Now let me remind you this morning as we get going, because in my opinion, this little section of Ephesians, this is the epicenter of the whole book. The Holy Spirit is not a force. This is not Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the most holy, blessed Trinity, our God. He is a person, and He is the sole contact each one of us have with Jesus, and He is the sole contact we each have with the Father. He is the greatest of promises of us living in the now and the not yet. Jesus, before He would die, was talking about this in John 7, 37. He he stood up and he said this at a great Jewish festival. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Isn't that amazing? I will deal with your soul, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, uh, whom those who believed in him would later receive. Up to this time... The Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus had not died uh, three days in the grave, risen from the red, resurrected, and ascended. Now, here's the point. I love this image. He says that if you believe on Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to send the Spirit of God into a broken, darkened person like us. And what's going to happen? Streams of living water are going to pour out of a broken life. Isn't that beautiful? He says, this is my promise in a broken, post-Eden world. Now, we know, if you're a Christian here this morning, that it happens to you when you said yes to Jesus. When you were three years old, five, or you accepted Jesus last week, right when you say, yes, he shows up. This is what Paul talks about at the center of his unity conversation in 1 Corinthians. See, the Holy Spirit is, is promised, and he's the promise received. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. For indeed, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. For indeed, the body is not made up of one part, but many. What is the center of our unity? The center is we are bought by Jesus. We say yes to Jesus. And at conversion, each Christian is baptized, plunged right into God himself. I love this. No matter who you are, no matter your background, when you repent and say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes into each of us, and we are baptized. Baptism of the Spirit happens at conversion. Each one of us, our unity in this church is produced by another source. Now, not only was he the promise, and the promise received by many of us, he is our promise guaranteed. Let me very quickly walk through the different references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1.13 And you also were included in Christ... When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. See, I love this. This says that when you became a Christian, your soul was branded, it was tattooed by the Spirit of God, and it is until the day of redemption. In other words, when God moves in, you can't kick Him out, it's His house. Not your house. You can try all you want. He's tattooed and you can't laser him off. Right? So he's there. So we have eternal security because of God the Father's election, because God the Son's salvation, and because the Holy Spirit's possession. Now, not only has he said this, he is the promise shared. Ephesians 2.18, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. See, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, there is this new unity that happens. And how do we have access to God unlike the rest of the world? The Spirit. Now, not only is that done, He is the promise prayed into us. In Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, there are two significant, massive prayers prayed by Paul, intercessions over that church. We've encouraged you to pray this over our church. Both of them are rooted in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you might know him better. You've already been baptized in him, but I'm asking him to keep showing up. Here's what he says. Do you want to know God? Do you really want to know God more than you do? You ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can introduce you to himself. He says, if you want to know God, ask for the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 3, he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Go down to verse 18, that you would have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So many Christians don't know that they are loved by God because of their history or pain or sin. And I'm telling you that if you have the courage to start saying, Spirit of the living God, come in great power, you will know that you are loved. You will know because He is the one who is love. He is the promise prayed into local churches. He's the promise experience, Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You want to overcome church disunity? You want to stop church splits? You want to get rid of politics and ego in a church? You start saying, Holy Spirit, you come in such great strength that your peace will overcome my garbage. The Spirit of God is the one who leads us into all truth, brings us along and into Jesus himself. The Holy Spirit is the one that threatens our motives, our mindsets, our interactions, and by that threat, I mean he changes it to heaven. And here's the great truth. If you really encounter the Holy Spirit, I don't care if you speak in tongues, fall over and shake, or nothing happens. If you encounter the Holy Spirit and you look more like Jesus later, you've met him. He is the Spirit of Christ. It's not about the experience that happens, it's what happens after. What is the fruit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit? The fruit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is not natural, but this is our unity. So here's the question this morning. Why do so many churches, why do so many Christian lives, why do large swaths of this church still remain unrenewed, non-revived? Why has revival, that has genuinely started here, it is evidenced, not happened in a full sweeping form? Why has awakening not broken out across Durham yet? Why can our Christian experience and our church at points be so powerless, empty, and unlike what we read in everyday Christian life? It is because many of us, if we are honest, do not ask for, want, invite, walk in, rely upon, talk to, pray for, and beg that the Spirit of God would bring the reign and rule of the Father and all the freedom that entails into our church. It's actually what Jeremiah the prophet cried out and wept so long ago, where he says, my people have committed two sins they have forsaken me oh notice the spring of living water and they have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water my people not non-christians not new agers not muslims not Hindu, no no my people those already in relationship, those I have elected, what have they done? They have forsaken me, the one who is the spring of living water, and they keep digging their own cisterns. You keep going back to sin, or you don't go back to sin, but you go back to people or situations, or you try everyone and everything else, but you do not regularly, intentionally, submissively call upon God to keep sending his Holy Spirit to change you, to change your family, to change your connect group, to change our church, and to change our region there is no other source except the spirit of God and if we do not call on him we will always even in good intention, build our own wells and those wells leak he says no more though the spirit of God is among us in a way I have never experienced and I've been in this church since I was 15 We need an ever-growing flood of the Holy Spirit in this church, in C4, in Durham. He is the glue. He is the power. He is the interpreter. He is the giver of everything that we have in our Christian life. No Holy Spirit, no kingdom of God. No Holy Spirit, no contact with Jesus. No Holy Spirit, no unnatural unity. No unnatural character. No spiritual gifts. No access to God in prayer. No power in prayer. No salvation. No church unity. No Holy Spirit. No no renewal, no Holy Spirit, no revival, no Holy Spirit, no awakening, no Holy Spirit, we are left with us. So before Paul addresses the most normative and difficult relationships in church, husbands and wives, that's next week, get ready everyone, and the slaves and masters, and children and parents, he says... We need to know and be in contact with and ready to be so changed by a force that is not in us because if we are not, nothing else will happen. See, it all comes down to this. Ephesians 5.15, you've got your Bible, you can virtually or physically flip there. This is what Paul says at this critical moment in this book. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. Walk carefully, accurately, precisely. See, Christianity has played out, he says, in everyday life, not just in formal times of worship like this. Paul has been saying for 2,000 years, God has been saying through his, chur- through his word, that the church can't just sit in a seminary-like setting with lots of good theoretical knowledge and not do anything. Wisdom is knowledge applied wisdom is when you do what you have learned so what is unwise living what is paul talking about well he's already addressed it you want to know if you're living an unwise life fine lying unwise Bitterness, unwise. Rage, unwise. Anger, malice, unforgiveness, unwise. Speech that is harsh, very unwise. Stealing, it's not so good. Greed, no. Sexual morality, very unwise. Obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, unwise. This is what he's saying. Don't live like this anymore. Don't swim here anymore. Don't build cisterns here anymore. Don't walk here anymore. Don't go there at all. Because you used to be this, but you no longer are this. Instead, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, it's interesting. Making most of the, every opportunity maybe doesn't get the full flavor of what Paul's saying here. He says, actually, make most of the time in Greek. He actually says, redeem the time. Buy up the time. Purchase the time because if you don't purchase the time, evil will. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, you actually think I know theoretically as Christians, you all know Jesus is coming back. I mean, I know you know it in your head, but you don't get it. Time is actually running out for real. There's so little time left. Jesus is coming back, don't you know? Don't waste your life doing all the actions you know are gonna burn up on judgment day. Don't start eternity weeping and saying to Jesus, I'm sorry that I spent my life knowing that time was running out doing all the crap you saved me from. Redeem the time. Bring the new heavens and the new earth into the now by how we live and realize and realize That time is going to end. He is coming back. He will be like a thief in the night. Just like in the times of Noah. The people did not believe. And suddenly it happened. Redeem the time. With clear heads. Knowing what is evil and good. He says in verse, uh, verse 17. This being your worldview And this being your power. He says therefore do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. There has to be a stark contrast between our worship and the world's worship. See, Paul has been calling us. He's been confronting us, comforting us, and inviting us to put off the old. Because he knows, he grieves this, and he knows that this is truth. Know what the Lord's will is. Find out what God really wants. And then he says, you know, if he was standing here today, he'd probably say, you know, there's another thing I need to address among us. I'm just really concerned because I really know this is the body of Jesus and our unity is connected to so much. So I know I've addressed a lot. It's been a ton in the last few weeks. But can I say this too, verse 18? uh, Don't don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. It's never God's will, and it's never okay for a follower of Jesus to get drunk. It's not okay to be buzzed, high, stoned, tipsy, inebriated, laced, lit, plastered, potted, wasted, or tanked. It is not... It's not. It's not okay to be under the table, and it's not okay to be under the influence at all. It's not okay for a moment. It's not okay for a season. It's not okay for a lifetime. It's not a sin to drink. It's not at all. I mean, if you... When I have a Coors Light, you can handle it, or a shot of tequila, or a glass of wine, fine. The Bible's clear. Drinking is not a sin. But oh, let me remind you don't you ever, ever becoming a stumbling block to someone who is. Oh, by the way, are you posting your drinks on social media? How do you know who's following and watching? Are you careful where you drink if you have that freedom? So, number one, we care for each other enough that if we do have the liberty to drink, we're careful that we even ask in an audience, wouldn't it be amazing at a connect group, by the way, is everyone okay or or is this going to be, wow, talk about community. And second of all, it says it is never okay to be buzzed forward. Not just drunk, sorry, a lot of you get buzzed. No, it's not okay. No matter the reason why some of us do it. Some of us, it's alcoholism. Some of us, it's disease, hereditary. Some of us, we're just bored with life. We want to escape. We want to feel. I want courage. Listen, no matter the reason, Chosen or not, it's not okay. Get help. Go to a counselor. Talk to pastors. Go to your doctor. We encourage this. Holistic. Get help. But look, do not waste your life on drunkenness. Why? Because it is a sign of the evil times. I love one of the best descriptions of drunkenness in the Bible. Nothing's new. Psalm, Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, I love that, who's got bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at the wine when it is red, I love this, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down so smoothly, is that not the ad for every alcohol right there, Mmm, mm. all right, the heat, in the end it bites you like a snake and poisons you like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights, true. Your mind will imagining very commu- uh, confusing things. You'll be the, like the one who's sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the riggings. They hit me, but I don't hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it, and this is it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? He says, don't do it. it everyone knows in this room, drunkenness and getting high causes horrific unity issues. And by the way, there's more here because actually Paul is addressing the Ephesian church. in Ephesus, in that area, there was a god named Bacchus. And he was the god of wine. And what would happen during these religious ceremonies is they would go to their church and they would get drunk out of their minds. They'd run wildly through the streets and then have sex with each other. And that was their worship. And they would be known for their drunken singing. Remember that because of what Paul's about to talk about. And Paul says, you know what? We don't allow anything to have lordship over us, only Jesus and we don't participate with that world anymore. And we don't participate with that God anymore. We're done. We got divorced from that God. We've got a new one. Paul says, when you become drunk or high, it woos you. It calls you back. You who struggle know this. Am I making a play? Like, honestly, it calls you back to build your own wells. You know, the word debauchery is an old word we don't use very much anymore. But it's a good one. It means fast and free living, licentiousness, orgy, riotous living, unbridledness, I love this, wenching, whoring, and wildness, the three W's you don't want in your life, right there. It says, when you get high and drunk, you end up doing things you regret. Don't go there. So, here, over the last three weeks, Paul has been outlining what makes the days evil, realizing the time is running out. Here's how he summarizes it in Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature, they're obvious porneia, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, wild living, idolatry, worshiping other gods, witchcraft, going to any other spiritual source except the Holy Spirit through Christ, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, so there's every church split in the world, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then he says, because there's so much more, etc. And then he does it. Right here he does it. He moves from this great command... To the great hope, like I said, the epicenter of what he's saying. See, an epicenter is a strong word. Like I've lived through major 7.1, 7.2 earthquakes when I grew up overseas. I live 50 miles from a major epicenter. An epicenter is when an earthquake begins and it literally rips out and the effects are felt for, for years or miles. This is the epicenter in a good sense. This next, these next six words are the epicenter of the book. Instead, be filled with the what? The Spirit. This is it. All the great truths spoken over us in this book, all the commands what to do, not to do, all the unity right here. This is it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to live in unity, to enjoy God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the first thing we all need to catch. Everyone ready? It's a command. You don't have a choice. You must. If you are a Christian, each single one of us has to make the decision to be filled with the Spirit. And, oh, in Greek, it's in plural. It means you all, to use America, you all have to be filled. Each person has to make the chosen commitment to be filled, not only because it is their destiny as a Christian, but because we're all in this together, we don't want our sin to affect the rest. Do you live your Christian life for C4? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we're really going to be a church united, we must yield to the Spirit. Be dominated by the Spirit. Be described by the Spirit. Be plunged into the Spirit. But here's the real insight. This is written in Greek in the present tense. See, this is not a one-time thing. Oh, Lord, fill me. Fill my cup. Alert. Sorry, that's coming Sunday school. Uh, it's not. No, no. You must every single day request this. See, you're baptized in the Spirit once at conversion, but this is the calling to be filled all the time. This is a plural present command. Each one of you, every day, wake up in the shower. (sighs) Oh God, I'm just waking up. Fill me, I'm gonna need it. Yes, you do, and so do I. This is a command for us to say to the Spirit of the living God, I want you to keep filling me. I want this power, I want this heat, I want this light. You've sealed me, you've baptized me, but I want to keep, ready, walking in the Spirit. And then he says, and if you want to know if you're being filled by the Spirit, and you want to know that the local church you're attending is evidencing the filling of the Spirit... He said, let me give you three outlined, beautiful, life-giving, life-changing experiences needed in our church and all churches that are evidence that the filling of the Spirit is sweeping across the church. One of the greatest signs of personal renewal in history, one of the great signs of corporate revival, real, not invented, real, God-given revival, when the Holy Spirit is filling, everyone ready? The majority of the people in the local church is found... Right here. I'm not about to sing, by the way, okay? Right here. It is always talked about in musical worship. When singing in a local church moves from just doing it or not doing it at all, to God-given, spirit-motivated worship, it fills the church and goes far beyond a style or structure. You know he is here. See, <laughs> when, when spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, spirit-saturated people really are that, they cannot but help to overflow in song. And remember, singing has two audiences, God and each other. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. Listen, many of you have terrible voices. Let's just admit it, right? Oh, amen. Oh, mm, finally. Right? That verse, sing a joyful noise to the Lord, is your life verse. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to sing like Whitney to Jesus. Okay, great. But here's the point. You may never make it on American Idol. Harry Connick's like, you're out. Fine. But when you sing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you're filled with the Spirit, oh, my goodness, sit down, American Idol. Heaven is listening heaven is listening. And the Bible says, when you read it, when the Spirit of God begins to fill, not just, we're all baptized, but fill, overflow the church, this is what happens. Suddenly, singing vertically and horizontally explodes in a church. Don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. As James says, draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Like I've preached, worship, musical worship, is a guaranteed place of meeting with God. God fills or comes to the praises of His people. God is everywhere. But in times of worship, when people, everyone ready, truly are spirit-filled and they have prepared come meet with him, and they're preparing and seeking when they walk into the auditorium, and where they're together in a connect group, or here seeking God, he moves from omnipresence to palpable presence. He moves from sovereignty into providence, and we see this all the time in the Bible. When people are spirit-saturated and seeking the living God, and they break out in song, guess what happens? He shows up in power every single time. Second Chronicles chapter 5. The great promise given to our church, we have asked, been asked by God to pray this for revival. And the trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. The singers raised their voices and praised the Lord and saying, He is good and His love, what? Endures forever. Right? And then what happens next? What's absolutely amazing, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. That's the Holy Spirit. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord, the weight of God, filled the temple of God. We're the temple now, everyone. And when we call on him, he comes. He says, this is the Lord's will. Ephesians 5, 17. This is God's will. It is God's will to sing. And it's not just about feeling or emotion, it's about integrity. Singing is the will of God. It's actually one of the ways we make most of the time as we wait for Jesus knowing time is running out. It may seem like a waste of time to the world, but for us who love God and know God and share love with Jesus, it's the best thing we get to do all week. Speak to one another. When we gather, it's a community thing. Like sin's a community thing, getting drunk together or all the other, no, no. When we get together together, let's be marked by this. Psalms. In the Old Testament, of course, we have God's written word, and it's the great hymn book of the Bible. The Psalms, we use them here all the time. Many of our songs are inspired by the Psalms. We, we read this, the Psalms are God's hymn book. Speak to one another in Psalms. Sing the Psalms. For generations, Christians have sung the Psalms. We should too, But it's not just the Old Testament psalms. There are all sorts of psalms in the Bible. Mary, Zechariah, Moses, even in the book of Revelation, there are these great historic scripture songs that are psalms we need to sing. And not only psalms, but hymns. You know, the word hymns in, in what they call LXX Greek is really important because it actually isn't scripture. It's any song that has been written to praise God Reflect God or his work in our life or in our world. See, here's what we all need to get. I've preached this before. Every song we sing in this church is a hymn biblically. A mighty fortress is our God. Hillsong and Bethel, they're all hymns because they're all about God and what he's done. We have the word of God, the Psalms. We've got hymns and then we've got spiritual songs. We'll say, John, what's spiritual songs? And like I said last time, uh-oh. This is when people break out in tongues and sing in tongues. Everyone hold on, I'm going to be Okay. It has to be translated, unless you're in your closet, and that's fine. You sing all you want. They also can be songs made up on the spot. Giving holy aspiration, a worship leader, is suddenly led to literally write a song as they are leading. But here's the point. No matter the expression of hymns or psalms or spiritual songs, they must exalt God, they must edify believers, and they must obey and, and, and be consistent with the Bible. If they're not, shut them down. Why is musical participation in this church in the last three and a half years, grown so dramatically? Why is there a dramatic... I hear this so much, where people come to our community and say, w- w- like, beyond the... Sti- why is God's presence here so much? Let me tell you, beyond sovereignty, it's partly that. It's because more and more of us come spiritually prepared to church. Because many of us are encountering God in our personal lives and we are coming to worship God, and many of us, not all but many are praying for personal renewal and we 're really asking God for revival and When God shows up and tells us to do something we 're obeying Him on the spot, and many of us aren 't hiding from God anymore. See the minority is becoming the majority, and as we keep calling for the Holy Spirit to come, no matter the cost, there is a palpable change happening in this church, and it is shown not in our style of worship but in the heart change. Of you. The more we get right with Jesus, the more this church is radically going to change. See, get it again as each person, one and two and three and five and twenty, keep inviting the Spirit of God to fill them and change their character and change their attitudes. Don't you see? Church will never be the same because we're coming as filled people, not people leaking in old cisterns that don't work. Paul says, a sign. That God is moving and a filling experience is when songs explode. Every revival in history, let me say this to you, is marked by musical worship. St. Francis Assisi, Martin Luther, the Welsh Revival, Wesley, Moody, Billy Graham, every great move of God has produced a massive explosion of worship. For 2,000 years, you know God is really deeply working when music is being produced that is God-centered, God-honoring, and is exploding globally. The Welsh Revival is one of my favorite to read about. You may not know about it. Wales Went through a revival where almost the whole nation was saved. Can you imagine, Canada? Like the whole nation. This is recorded by non-Christian historians. They were closing down police stations because there was no one to arrest anymore. Actually, they were confused because people kept coming to police stations, confessing their sins of 20 or 30 years ago and asking them to go to jail because they had met Jesus. Can you imagine? The Welsh were known as coal miners... And as God moved so powerfully, coal miners started coal miner choirs. Anyone seen that in Canada? They have their roots in a revival. And these coal miners, rough, tumbling, drinking men, started encountering Jesus and loving their wives and not getting drunk anymore. And they started breaking out in these unbelievable choirs, singing to Jesus. And so changed were they when they went back to work and they started commanding the donkeys and the horses to work, they would not move, and they were perplexed. They did not understand why the horses... Because the horses only knew cuss words. No, this is true. They had so been changed when they stopped swearing, the animals didn't know what to do anymore. Can you imagine revival on social media? I bless you. No, I bless you more. What is... When the Spirit of God fills a church and spills over into a region, watch out, because the horses don't know what to do anymore. (laughs) Songs. But there's more. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God our Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness begins to grow beyond greed. When you're truly thankful, you're satisfied. You don't need to have someone else or something else. Like I preached last week, you remove the gas from the car, it doesn't start won't run so when you remove greed sin dies and thankfulness grows now by the way i've heard this preached so terribly giving thanks for everything oh god thanks that i was abused oh god thanks that i'm financially no that's not what this is saying this is saying in all of our circumstances being thankful not thanking god for every circumstance we're in we live in dark times jesus said we will have many woes what this is saying is oh god would you fill us so much with your spirit even when we're sitting in jail being beaten remember this we're still going to be singing It's not about injustice or justice. This is about joy. You will know that the Spirit of God is filling a church when thankfulness goes through the roof. You will know the Spirit of God is filling you and your connect group when song breaks out and you don't care what it sounds like. And you will also know, and here's the difficult one, that the Spirit of God is moving in the most profound of ways in a church when people submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Go to that next verse. You will know that this isn't playing anymore. You will know that church is different when you value someone that you don't like more than you. You will know that the Spirit of God is filling a church when, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that if you have any connection to Jesus, as he says, if you, if you have any joy of the Spirit, if you have any of what God has done, That you will begin to become like Jesus in your mindset, considering others better than yourself. You will begin to submit. And by the way, let's just be real honest this morning. Submission does not in Greek mean agree with or support. It means arrange under someone. That's what it means. You will know that God is doing such a deep heart change in you that you will come to the place where you submit to people you don't get along. But I love God's trap here. It's mutual submission. If everyone's submitting to everyone else, you can't have a fight. Have you noticed it? I don't, I don't like you, but I'm going to serve you. Well, I don't like you, I'm going to serve you too. Well, I suppose we're going to serve each other. Go team. Okay, like... <laughs> the power of this, though, is this. Do you notice? Who is it for? Look, out of reverence to Christ. Listen, there are many times that I have, not in front of the person's face. I just want to clarify that. But I've said, as I'm going to serve someone I don't like, or I really struggle with, yes, it's true. I don't like certain people. I've said to Jesus, you've served me. I will serve them. Not I'll serve them. No, I'll serve them. And I've said, and I'm doing this as an act of worship to you. When you do it for Jesus Christ... Everything changes. Jesus said it best, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And one person said, don't you understand, without mutual submission, you cannot fulfill your destiny as a Christian. This doesn't mean we can't have leaders. This doesn't mean we don't need decisions. This doesn't mean we don't have different spiritual gifts. This doesn't mean we have to say no if someone's asking us to submit to something that is wicked. But here's the point. When a church gets in the heart place where we will serve each other, no matter history, color, race, background, whether we like them or not, agree with them or not, same political stripe. Listen, when this happens, the Spirit of God is really present. Why would we do this without Jesus? This is completely the opposite of everything we've been taught our whole lives. And yet Jesus comes and says, but don't you know I've come to turn the world upside down and when my spirit gets a hold of you, you will end up loving and serving people you cannot stand. And when you do it, you will not do it begrudgingly. You will have such joy. Why? Because you will watch me smile when you do it. You will know that the Spirit of God is coming in a community when songs explode. You will know when the Holy Spirit is coming in a community when thankfulness is rooted in our lives. You will know when you start seeing submission, mutual submission, working out between us. So now we stand at a threshold of what could be and must be and what we are and where we were as a church. We can as Christians mouth the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do you really want it? Because what you're asking for is this. Some of you are all the way back pre-Jesus with Jeremiah still. And By the way, phones down, don't get distracted, please. Some of you are this. My people have committed two sins. You've forsaken me, the springs of living water, and you've dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You keep going to everyone except the Holy Spirit. Here's my prayer for this church. I prayed it this week, and I pray this out of humility for myself and all of us as a family. I ask in the name of Jesus that every well that is not of God would dry up in this place. And I would ask in Jesus' name that every system we think is from God and is not from God would be exposed as a broken, leaky thing that does not have life-giving water and they'd be broken across our whole church in Jesus' name. We are asking God to show up and show us where our self-sufficiency has moved us to idolatry and said to the Spirit of God, we'd prefer to grieve you than be filled by you. The call and the invitation, and here's the one thing I love, the promise of this passage is if you ask, he will come. See, here, you know, remember the, if you build it, they will come. No, no, forget the movies. If you ring the doorbell, the Holy Spirit's going to show up like that. Lord, I'd like you. I'm right here. This is an invitation and promise, because the Spirit of God allows us to fulfill what we already are. He's the one that lights us and gives us heat and allows us to change the environment and push back darkness and be loving to each other. And He's the one that, as this is happening, reminds us, don't waste your life in what's running out. See, this is a call for our church to obey the book of Ephesians through the request of the filling of the Holy Spirit. For when the Spirit of God comes, the presence of Jesus comes. And this is a call for us personally and communally every day to say, no matter the cost, fill me because I want our church to be rocked with God-given, God-honoring, Spirit-saturated worship. I want to be a person who is thankful, not bitter, thankful, not greedy, thankful, just thankful, and I want to learn to submit to people I don't like because, Jesus, you did that, and that was the greatest thing that produced salvation, and I want to see that in my life. I am willing. I am ready. Come get me. I'm ringing the doorbell. Be filled with the Spirit. He's already in you. You've been baptized in him, you're sealed in him, you can't laser him off, he's going nowhere, he holds you, he loves you, he is Christ's presence to this church, but he is requesting, and by the way, I'm saying this on behalf of heaven, he is requesting that each person in this church say, yes, Holy Spirit, fill me so I can look like Jesus. Ask, and you will receive, and when you receive, you will be changed an awakening will break out. What do you do with the Spirit of God? And what do you say? We're all in this together? Or I want my own things? Jesus Christ, this is your work. This is your church. We don't own ourselves in any way, shape, or form. This is it. We're only one church out of millions. And our call is no different than any other church. Church. And yet you are abundantly clear that we are called to put off the old and live with the understanding of what is coming. So here's my prayer. For me, for me, for me. Man, do I need this. My wife needs this. My kids need this. This church needs this. This region needs this. Every church needs this. Spirit of God, hear our prayer. God the Father, hear our prayer. Holy Jesus, hear our prayer. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come into this church more and more and more. We pray that we would be confronted if we have forsaken our God. We pray that you'd expose all old wells and they would dry up and be broken. And here's what we pray among us. Spirit of God, we choose to be filled by you. Many of us are saying, yes, every day, now, in a new way, fill more of you and less of me. I must decrease, he must increase. And here's the three things we pray. Oh God, would this church, beyond excellence excellence or talent, be marked by a move of God so profound that the worship in this place is spirit-filled. May us as a people grow in our own quiet times in thankfulness in a way that is unnatural. We ask this of you, God, and we pray that you would begin to, at the very core of this church, deal with submission husbands loving their wives, wives to their husbands, children and parents, leaders and the people, that there would be a growing, unnatural, godly move of the Spirit in such a way that it makes no sense except God is among us. We ask this in the name of God the Father, who not only elected and predestined us to be saved, but to be different. In the name of God the Son, who died for us so we would be light like Him. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who filled Christ And we ask that the same filling and empowerment that was on Christ would be on this church for one reason. Because we are desperate, God, desperate, God, desperate, God, that this region be changed for Jesus Christ. Have your way among us. Nothing less than that. Amen, amen, and amen.